You are listening to The Sauna Show, a podcast that explores new ways to combat modern life and reclaim your health and vitality. My name is Sebastian Miro, and I'm the CEO of Clearlight Saunas International and a passionate entrepreneur and health enthusiast. I'm sitting down with scientists, holistic health practitioners, and change makers in the wellness space to talk about all things detox, health, and happiness. And today is no exception. We will talk about all things with Dr. Jimmy Wolumbin. Jimmy has a depth and breadth of wisdom that covers a wide range of ancient traditional medicines and philosophies. So if you ever feel confused by different ranges of health and medical practices like Chinese, Ayurvedic, Tibetan, Persian, Mongolian, or Western, or you just feel overwhelmed by all the external information there is about wellness and health, Jimmy and I will dive into the key underlying truths of all these ancient medicines and how we have all the information we need for amazing health through learning how to be receptive to our body's inner communication network, which are the meridians, but more so the fascia of the body. Because of, from the Chinese medicine point of view, the body can see, be seen as one physical connection from the head to the toe with a lightning fast communication line from all different areas to all the others. We'll talk about that, but we also dive into the deep end and talk about the concept of who we actually are and why we're here and how we connect both our inner and our outer world. And, and Jimmy is this described as a philosopher of medicine and draws from many cultures and ancient wisdom to paint an integrated picture of health. I really enjoyed talking to Jimmy. He's incredibly passionate and enthusiastic. And I got so much out of this conversation and I hope you will too. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. So welcome on the show. Thanks for making time, Jimmy. It's an absolute pleasure. It's nice to be here with you. Fantastic. So, Jimmy, you have had quite a long path to get to all that knowledge that you have unearthed for yourself and, and for others as well. Like, how did this actually begin? Yeah, well, um, I guess the, the telling the story like this, you know, would take like 20 years probably to tell it fully. So I'll just give you a couple of the highlights. <laughs> okay, to that. I, I got into health through being interested in the gym and I was going to the gym and I was eating protein, I was pumping iron and I was doing all this sort of stuff. Uh, and I was at the ANU in Canberra. And I came back up to the Northern Rivers where I was born and bred to visit some friends. And um, that's at age 19. They, they, they gave me a Deepak Chopra book to read and they got me meditating and I started eating some vegetarian food and it all just kind of happened, right? Yeah. And, um, and then uh, I was studying um, at university and I went back and I promptly changed my degree from just philosophy to include um, Eastern religion. So I started studying Eastern religion. Um, and then um, that was wonderful. But then I put a, put my, a whole degree on pause and went traveling around India uh, for six months, going to ashrams, meditating, looking at all these sort of places. And then it was just deeply in my blood. Uh, I was just like yearning for knowledge, for gnosis, for life. And from that point, age 19, uh, then it's all, I've just been thirsty you know, just like thirsty for, for knowledge and wisdom in all of its many forms. But at the end of a degree in philosophy, <laughs> you don't have an enormous number of employment prospects. Um, and so I wanted a way to, to be able to put philosophy in practice. Um, all these wonderful ideas, I've been really touched by Taoism, I've been touched by Buddhism, I've been touched by, you know, shamanic practices and all these things that I managed to study at uni. Um, and so then I thought, ah, medicine will be a way in which I can put this in practice. 
And I thought to myself, because I just wanted to get back overseas and go travel and get out there, like in the jungles again. Um, I thought I'm just going to do um, uh, like two years of sports injury and then I'll just have a trade and I can run. I'll be a travelling practising philosopher. <laughs> and and I naively thought that at some point study was finished or, you know, something. Anyway, I I qualified in that and I encountered Zen Shiatsu. I started working with Meridians through that and I started working with Fascia through an apprenticeship uh, with a rolfer. And it was from there later on that I studied Chinese medicine. I ended up doing my internship in Beijing and my travels continued. You know, I spent years on the road, Ayurvedic hospitals, the Tibetan Medical Institute in Dharamshala, um, you know, Persian Hakims in their tradition, plus, you know, Indigenous people, you know, from the Dayak in Borneo um, and all over the world. So I had all these wonderful adventures um, and, and that has led me to this, to this eclectic place that you find me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that is impressive. What a full spectrum that is. Yeah, and, and it's just through following passion, really. You know, it's what it, what it is. The impressive, yeah, right. the impressive part about it is is what is what happens when people are just lit up by passion and they follow it and pursue it because that's what provides the impetus and the energy and the momentum yes. for all of that. Because otherwise, it's just like wow, it's tens of thousands of hours of study, you know, and it's like oh god, I feel exhausted just contemplating it. But if you're if you're following passion, then you know me on my weekends is me with with this content, you know, yeah. with you know ancient Greek philosophy or an anatomy text or you know a materia medica or whatever the thing is because it's passion, you know. Great. So you know when when I think about a particular subject matter and and you know that from different cultures i believe it's a little bit like you know having a little different language but at the end of the day the they have mostly the same words right but when then on the other hand if you go to particular languages that have a lot of snow around they have suddenly not one word for snow but 100 different types of snows and that type of thing so when you when you transpose that into the medical field and the spiritual field that you, you've looked into in the philosophy um can you see many things that actually match qu quite nicely up and say like, oh yeah, yeah this is how you call it same thing really same knowledge and so on or would you say like no you know they, they really have very they're very in their width and breadth quite a bit um i tend um when i was at, at uni i had a professor that said listen when it comes to religions professors are either lumped into two categories the lumpers or the splitters and the lumpers say it's all essentially the one thing and the splitters emphasize the difference he mm. said they both have points right and yeah. and it's the same with medicine but i tend to go in the lumpers category is that <laughs> I definitely firmly believe that there is a universal syntax, a common language that mm -hmm. underlies all of the traditional medical practices. And this is because human beings have, are fundamentally the same on the inside. We have, regardless of culture, we have the same wetware. We have the same visual cortexes, the same tongues, the same hands yeah. for experiencing the world. And we're inside the same incredible Gaian biosphere And so the primary metaphors that we have in medicine, in traditional medicine, are fire and wind and water and earth, you know. <laughs> and yeah. so all of these big traditions, they all speak in very similar terms like that. And so, yes, there's differences. You know, you can't reduce chi to vata, but there are similarities across them as well. And when you really understand the core, then it's like music. Of course, the tradition, Indian tradition is different. Yeah. But, you know, like harmony is harmony, right? And that's what medicine is really seeking ultimately is harmony. 
Um, and whilst I'm on that, I might add that the harmony that we seek is not just freedom from physical disease. This is where medicine has landed now in the 21st century, but this is never the role and the sacred duty of medicine. It's a deep harmony, and it is, and that's why philosophy and medicine have always been intertwined. It's a harmony of the soul, a harmony of society, and a harmony between human beings and the cosmos at large. And so deep and traditional medicine is not just saying, how can I not have flatulence? They're not just asking that question, right? They're saying, how can my soul be in harmony and how can I move through the world with grace and ease and minimise the suffering I experience and the suffering that I cause? So it's, it's a whole different piece than that, right? You know, it goes all the way up. That's the beauty of traditional medicine. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Well, you know, so that you... You basically confirmed that there are, you know, so many parallels, and you know, there, there is quite a bit. You're, you're more the lumper, as you said. That's great. But also, one one could say that, that that can give us a lot of confidence in the older, you know, in the in the old ancient knowledge of 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 these subjects, because if they all came more or less to the same findings, then that would mean they found something that works. And to me, that's really comforting. You know, it's not one peer, like not one eye, but you have many different perspectives all looking at the body and actually confirming, yeah, this is there, this this exists. Like we all have different constitutions, you know, and, and you can see that in Vata, I'm sorry, in, um, in, in the Ayurvedics as well as in traditional Chinese medicine and maybe probably so many more. So that, I think that's really comforting and really assuring to actually go down that route and really explore it. Hmm. Is and um, so many eyes is definitely the truth because it's passed through countless generations, you know, countless generations, and and that's just uh, you know that's just when it comes to formal systems like Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, Tibetan medicine or Greek medicine. Um, when we go back to the folk medicine and the indigenous medicine that those systems emerge out of and formalize and put together then that goes back, you know, like indigenous culture in this, in this, on this, on this continent, you know, we're talking a hundred thousand years, but the knowledge that they have is young knowledge still because a range, I have medicines here just behind me and on these shelves around me that are, that are preserved by a traditional medical system like Chinese medicine or Greek medicine or Ayurvedic medicine, but was discovered by the indigenous people that uh, that they drew that formalized that knowledge from but the indigenous people learnt it from animals right and so just to give an example a common example is chelidonium is a herb that has antimicrobial properties um, it's a bitter herb we use it for all sorts of different things but it was observed that the swallows would pick the chelidonium and use it to clean the eyes of the baby uh, the baby birds and then in observing that then we would then use that to clean our own eyes for infection and it works it's an infect it's anti-infective agent and so not only did animals discover tools not only did ants discover agriculture and tempeh but they discovered an enormous number of herbs right yeah. an enormous yeah. number and then whilst i'm on this just to push push this all the way up yeah. is that is that those animals they are just utilizing medicines which were produced by plants. So the plants, in response to microbial attack, in response to harsh climatic conditions, in response to all sorts of different things, predators and just challenge, mm -hmm. then the plants produced these molecules, right? 
Well, but these molecules are just reflections of their own wisdom, their own virtues, their own strengths. And so the plants produced, uh, they learnt how to be resilient in the face of hardship. And so think of a a herb like maca, which is the Andean adaptogenic herb, Mm. and it grows at a very high altitude. It's just like, well, that's a tough place to live. And so that plant has gotten tough. Its, its, its roots are deeply in the soil and it's learnt how to survive hardship. And when we take that maca inside us, then the wisdom of that resilience in those molecules speaks to our body and then helps us to become resilient as well. So this medicine, it's not our medicine. It's the medicine of the earth. It's in the language of the earth and it's ancient beyond reckoning. All right, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool. Yeah, I mean, we're meant to be talking about fashion, I just want to say, but it's, it's, it's nice to blow it wide open for a moment. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So, and why on earth would you you really focused on on Maya fascia and and on on the meridians? How, how did how did you get into that? Is that a particular reason, or was it just by by accident? Uh well, I mean, accidents. Are there accidents? Yeah. Um, but I was. Uh, As I said, I was studying um, a diploma of sports injury, and as a part of that, um, we had a rolfer come in to teach us a single unit. Now, rolfing is a form of body work that works as fascia that started uh, in the 1970s in America at Esalon. It was a part of this oh, cool. creative, wonderful yep. time. Yep. And uh, Ida Rolf um, was the first one really to be working with fascia. And so I, I had this guy come in just as an elective, um, and it's a cool technique, and he was a cool guy, and... There was a different uh, there was a different feeling to the way he approached the work, which is very psychosomatic as well, and a different knowledge and integrated knowledge of relationships that wasn't present in sports injury, you know, like by itself. But at the same time as that, another elective teacher came in um, doing Zen Shiatsu. And this just blew me away because it was also really beautiful, you know, like if you've ever received it, you've got this sort of yin lunar hand that's holding and nourishing and this yang solar hand that's moving and you know releasing and there's it's chinese medicine right mm. and it's working along the meridians but not with needles but with hands right and so i went straight from my um my my enrollment in in sports injury i, I completed it and i went straight into a two years in shiatsu program And I, at the same time, launched uh, and uh, started an, an, an apprenticeship with this rolfer. And so I was studying the meridians not as uh, energy lines that just needles get inserted into in a sort of fifth-dimensional, energetic, non-corporeal, disembodied way, but as in there's the bladder meridian. Feel there. Can you feel it underneath your hand there? Very embodied. These are things that run through the body and you're having to touch and move like this, right? Right. And at the same time as doing that with Zen Shiatu, learning the meridians first in a deeply embodied way, I was learning about fascia, which uh, which is also about this, the connective tissue, that which connects and wraps around all the muscles and it creates these long trains, yeah. myofascial trains or myofascial meridians. Although that term mm-hmm. I wasn't familiar with at that time. Yeah. But I was learning these at the same time. So I started studying fascia at the same time as I started studying meridians and at the beginning I just started to be like this you know it's a different technique you know the myofascial release and the shiatsu work but they're both working along relationships and I can see how one affects one area and I 
started just to put them together in my own mind and heart, you know, in these little ways. Mm. And then uh, a few years later, this guy called Tom Myers published a book that had all of his uh, anatomical research in it. Now, he was a rolfer. He started with Ida Rolf and Buckminster Fuller and all these other cool people, right? <laughs> um, and he had done a series of dissections. And he was looking to try and understand fascia from, uh, from, from a wet lab perspective of dissecting cadavers to see about the relationships that um, he had been taught about in, 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 um, in rolfing. And so they could say, oh, well, to release the neck, we're going to work up through the hamstrings in this way, right? And they didn't have uh, clear modelling or anatomy behind that at that particular point. So he did all this cadaver research yeah. and he produced this model based upon fascia where he said these are these main lines that run through the body, right? And, um, and, and so if you didn't cut them up into muscles as we currently know it, if you just take the skin off and you just look at these things, then where your calves finish and where your hamstrings start, yes. when you get in there close, it's like, well, those, those ligaments just merge. The only way you can separate them is intellectually or with a big scalpel or something. Right? Yes. Otherwise, yes. they're the same thing. And then the hamstrings just merge up with the tibial, with the, with the lower back via mm. a ligament and then straight up onto the head in this way. And so just mm. peel them off. And a range of people won't be able to see, but there's some images you might be able to upload later. Yeah, cool. Where you can actually see uh, these large relationships between different areas of the body. And at the end of publishing this, he had no interest in Chinese medicine, but he published this thing with all of these these relationships. And then anyone with a background in Chinese medicine is like, that's the meridians, man. You've just dissected them. That's we've known about that for a few thousand years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but he'd he'd actually rediscovered them. And he'd rediscovered them in this anatomical, scientific, embodied corporeal manner. And it still hasn't fully transformed the Chinese medicine community, but it will. Mm-hmm. It really will. And so it was just electrifying. And I here I was. Have you ever had one of these things where you think of an idea, right? You yep. think of it first and then you find you, you feel like you think <coughs> it first and then you find out someone else thought of it before you that's it, that's it. and they thought of it even better? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how I felt with Tom Meyer's work. Just like, <laughs> I was just like, damn it, he beat me at the gate, but he did it much better and he's smarter and better and this is thing and just, yeah. oh, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was one of those kind of moments. I was sort of piecing something together and mm-hmm. he just put it all down in such detail with just all of his magnificence. Um, so that's that's how I started. That's 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 the story of where I where I started to put these bits together. Yeah, right. See, um I've really limited knowledge when it comes to really both of those, but you know, listening to you, what I understand is like the, the Maya fascia is like really one continuous piece of of, of um well, not muscle tissue, but tissue. Let's just say tissue. Whereas when you talk about meridians, um, it sounds like it's the same thing. I always thought, and I don't know why, but I thought like it's something something electrical. It's something that you actually, that doesn't really exist. Like the meridians is like, like like it's a map like of your hand with all the meridians in it. But all it means is a position. I thought a meridian is a position, but it's more than that, is it? Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing because uh, if you would speak to a lot of acupuncturists today, they would... Think of it in those terms as well, right? Oh. But um, 
that's a very Western way to think about it. You know, like if you think about the meridians just as energy things, like an Alex Gray picture, it's like, well, what are we doing sticking a needle into it if it's an energy thing, you know? Like <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. we're sticking a needle into what? Because a needle is a thing, like a physical thing. Yeah, yeah. What are you sticking it into? <laughs> oh, no, the meridian is a chakra, fifth dimensional energetic thing, and this is a physical well, how does a physical thing affect an energy thing? You know, like yeah. you've got, you start to get all these problems, right? Yes. Which is Cartesian dualism. But that stuff wasn't there in the ancient Chinese language. Right. It was a sort of, it was all one thing and it was cheap. That's a talk for another time though. But, <laughs> right. but when it comes to fascia, here's the, the, I'll tell you a little bit about fascia and yeah. then you'll start to be able to join the dots with this. So fascia is connective tissue. Right, and so okay. it's what connects everything in the body. Yeah. Um, so at one level, uh, it's sort of like this gluey structure that goes around stuff. And it, 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 in terms of the muscles and tendons, it is the tendon. Tendon is fascia or connective tissue that attaches a muscle to a bone. Yeah. But then from the tendon, it spreads out and it forms a, a layer around the muscle, so it envelops the muscle, mm -hmm. and then it comes back and forms the tendon that attaches to the other end of the bone. Mm. which then goes into the, the next tendon of the next muscle and then around that. And it goes around every fibre. Have you ever eaten a steak and you see some of the white grisly bits that aren't fat? Yes. That's the connective tissue, right? The okay. ligaments and all that sort of stuff yes. that boil down to make gelatin. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't just go through the muscles. It also goes around the bones and then it goes into the bones. And so into the bones. Into the bones. So if you take a wishbone, as a kid, I get a yeah. wishbone and drop it in a glass of vinegar. Yeah. And then it takes all the calcium out of the wishbone. Yes. Right? And then you give it to your brother or some other poor sucker and you try and do the wishbone thing and it bends rather than breaks because all the calcium is gone. Ah. So it still looks like a wishbone. It still looks like a bone. But the crystally bits, the calcium bits are gone and all that remains is connected tissue. So bone is largely connective tissue, which is why a kid gets a green stick fracture, an old lady who's lost the connective tissue but still has the, the mineral content can just snap off at the femur in this way. So fascia is running all through the bones and it's the structure, the, la the, the, the matrix that, that little crystals are laid down on top of to make it firmer. But it's mostly fascia, right? But. Let me keep going because it just keeps going. You're like, okay, okay, I've got to do muscles and the bones. But it doesn't stop there yeah. because uh, it also wraps around all of the nerves. And so it goes around all of the nerves. And, you know, in your brain you've got white matter and grey matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the white matter is connective tissue. Whoa. Glial cells. And glial comes from glue. And they thought they were just connecting the neurons together yes. but it's an enormous part of your brain and so we've got it going through there but it goes around every organ it forms like the structure that the cells are laid down into so if yes. you've got a liver you can imagine a scaffolding of connective tissue uh -huh. with liver cells sitting on it so it makes a liver shape right yes it also goes so it goes around all the organs connects all the organs goes around it is every ligament it goes around every tendon it is every tendon Yes. But it also goes down and forms the cytoskeleton, the skeleton of the cell. So inside the cell, there are things like bones that are connective tissue. Whoa. 
So fascia goes from inside the cell all the way everywhere. So first we've got this thing of like <laughs> connective tissues everywhere, right? Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And your question is about the electric thing, right? Yeah. Yes. So so that so the, that would seem to believe it's like okay, we've got glue everywhere, but it's not glue is the point. The, yeah. This is like we thought it was just glue, the connective tissue was just the, the scaffolding, and we figured out that it's not at all. And so when it comes to the white matter in your brain, then we've seen that people with a higher IQ don't just have more, they, they have more white matter. They yeah. have more glial cells and connective tissue in their brain. And the connective tissue in their brain, the glial cells, the astrocytes, are moderating the conversation between the neurons and playing an active role in consciousness. And so inside the brain, it plays a really active role in consciousness. But inside the musculoskeletal system inside the rest of the entire body is when I was studying anatomy in, at, uh, as, as a sports injury therapist, the nerves that we were familiar with in the, in, the, in, the, in the musculoskeletal system were involved in this thing called proprioception, which just means where you are in space. So if I can tell that my hand's behind my head and above my head without looking at it, that's because I can feel yeah. through proprioception. Okay. You're in the joints and in the muscles. They just tell you where you are. Right. But that's only a really small amount of the cell, of the nerves that are in the muscular, in the body, right, and especially in the musculoskeletal system. 80% of them go into a different section of the brain and have nothing to do with where we are in space to stop us bumping into tables. It's this thing called interoception. And interoception means looking in. Huh. So, so looking in means... When you feel in your body, and if you've got a listener at the moment, suddenly try and become aware of your left ear and that you can feel it. And then shift your awareness to your right ear. So without moving, that sense that suddenly you can flood awareness and you can feel what's going on, that's interoception. And interoception travels through fascia. So fascia is the fibre optic cables of consciousness in the body for the body's own sense of what's going on. Wow. Oh, that was a big download, wasn't it? It was a big download. Well, it, yeah, it, it com well, I tell you that that, would, that completely flips 180 degrees of how I've seen the body because I've seen it in a dissective manner of like there's a muscle and that connects to another muscle and then there are bones and they're all separate. And, you know, the head doesn't have a lot to do with the toes. There's somehow some neurons that go all the way you know and talk to each other but that's that's about it what you're saying especially neurons are so small if they're all surrounded by this tissue there is a lot of it there must be so much that actually in effect we are mainly tissue and and we have little pockets of where other stuff is in for certain for certain reasons where the cells are housed and in a sense but then it's also part it's a massive matrix it's, it is a matrix and I, i i talk about fascia as your inner net Your yeah. inner net. Love and it. so when you are checking in for a gut feeling or when you're like, oh, how does that feel? If you would have a coffee and just say, how does that feel in my body? That checking in of feeling how it feels, of asking your body, how do I feel? How does it feel inside there? Not where are you, but what's <laughs> going on? Like, yeah. like a gut feeling. Yeah. When you're doing that, You're using interoception. You're looking in, 
right? Not yes. looking out yes. the world, you're looking mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And the messages come through through fascia, through, through fascia. Yeah. And so it is a highway of, of communication for the body back to the central nervous system yes. about what's happening in the body, how the body feels. And so a, a, a nice example of this is if anyone has ever had uh, like a fever and just felt really uncomfortable in their body in a weird, mm. itchy kind of, just not, not a specific way, just like, oh, I just don't feel right or a mm. kidney infection or something and this oh, yeah. deep sense of not right feeling. Mm. Or if you've been to hospital and they've given you um, painkillers and you've had this like really good, like happy feeling through your body, like everything feels amazing right now, <laughs> that feeling that's going through interoception as well, felt body awareness. Wow. And, okay. And so we have the situation where you could be very intelligent with a high IQ mm. and you could have, you could be an emotional moron, right? You know, like I won't ask your ex partners, but it's possible, right? We never know. And so possible. you could have a low EQ or <laughs> you could have a high EQ and a high IQ, but you could be an interoceptive moron, meaning wow. yes. you've got no body intelligence. You're not listening to your body. You know, not in tune with your body, you can't feel those messages that are coming up that are saying, I don't feel so good today or I feel great today. Mm. And that's happening through fascia. Wow. It's all happening through connective tissue. Yes. So what, ju- just on that gut feeling, I would just love to understand that this one nuance of gut feeling where people would say, well, I had the feeling, you know, I didn't like this person or this wouldn't go well. Is it the same gut feeling that you're talking about? I, I get the feeling like, especially, you know, when you drink a coffee, it's definitely like, you know, it's down there. So that's, that's, that's easy to feel, I guess. Or, you know, if you tune in, you, you can feel that. Would you connect the same sixth sense? Or I don't know how to describe it, but, but would, would you put that in the same, in the same category? Um, it definitely overlaps. And, and, and just, just to be clear, we don't have five or six senses. We've got like 20 or 30 senses, right? You've got a sense of balance. You've got a sense of temperature. You've got all these different senses, right? <laughs> right. You've got a lot of senses, not five. Yep. Um, you've got proprioception. That's a sense, a sense of where you are in space. Um, so you've got all these different senses. Um, and, and the gut feeling sense, well, on the one hand, we have the enteric nervous system, you know, the gut brain that's down there and that's that's a major center of sentience in fact there's 10 times more information going to the brain than from the brain when we're talking about the gut brain connection mostly the brain's listening the gut's like listen it's like this and this and this and this and this <laughs> and the brain's like okay okay so we've got this mistake in the west where we're kind of encephalocentric yeah. we feel like we are our brains but actually sentience and consciousness is distributed through the entirety of the body yeah. every cell is sentient we know that molecules are, um, uh, hormones are like molecules of emotion right so if hmm. i just take epinephrine adrenaline out of you and inject it into me i'm going to feel your fear or your excitement yeah yeah right. okay. if i take your pheromones and put them on a seat you know women will respond in whichever way they're going to respond hmm. because it's a little package of sentience in a particular way. And so every cell in the body is sentient. Every cell in the body is feeling. Every cell in the body has an inside. Bacterias have an inside. They're all conscious and aware. Single-cell organisms, they're not like you and me. They don't have complex 
kind of internal neurotic processes, but they are sentient, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so a bacteria will go towards food. A bacteria will run away from prey. A bacteria will cooperate with its with its own tribe. A bacteria will communicate using quorum sensing to the rest of the cloud about what's going on. All of this without a central nervous system. No brain, no central nervous system, but obviously sentient. Mm. And so its sentience moves through hormones and through connective tissue, through fascia. So having just gone way down the rabbit hole, no, great. The, take-home, the take-home point here is that <laughs> connective tissue in your body is one of the highways of consciousness through your body. And it's the highway that your body speaks to your brain. Your brain is listening. When your body is saying, this feels right, it's through fascia that it tells that message. And it goes up into the brain and the brain then is just the switchboard to say, okay, liver says everything's okay, stomach says everything's okay, back is saying it's not feeling so great today, you know, all of these different bits. And then when you say how, when I say how do you feel, your brain goes, averages all that out and says, overall I feel all right, (laughs) speaking on behalf of the collective community which is my ecosystem. All right. It's a smart person. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. It's mind-bending. The, the, the bottom line is that your that aspects of that gut feeling are traveling through connective tissue. And connective tissue is what you're working with in some forms of body work. And also if have you heard of yin yoga? Like slow yoga? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, you've heard of hot yoga or slow yoga or yin yoga is a form where there's long-held poses. And in, those, in that, those forms like that, you're working not with muscles, which are elastic, but with fascia, which is plastic. And so you're doing these long-held, slow poses so that the fascia can slowly open and stretch, mm-hmm. right, which is what determines the shape of the muscles inside them. Wow. So when we then take that into a disease state when someone is diseased seeming that like would you say that most of the mass of the body would be then actually connected tissue i don't know about that but um if you take away everything that's not fascia you've got a perfect map of the body a more perfect map of the body than if you take away everything and just leave nerves or if you take away everything and just leave blood vessels Mm -hmm. the best map of the body from a single system is fascia because it's everywhere. Yeah. So it certainly covers every shape and of the perfect outline of all of your organs, all of your bones, all of your outside, your facial features. There's connective tissue everywhere. So with that framework, when you look through that lens, what is disease? Is, is, is it related to in between or is it actually related to the fascia or could it be either? Well, I mean... Uh, dis, I mean, that's a big question. What is disease? You know, and, yeah. and there's, I think there's multiple things that cause us to not feel at ease, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, we, need to, we, need to, we need to have a complex answer. If there's, if there's a, an, a simple answer, then we've got it wrong, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we can feel diseased and ill at ease and become sick because of an emotionally Uh, abusive and toxic environment right Mm, yeah and so that takes place you know we can come become diseased because we live underneath the phone tower and we've got weird radiation we can become diseased because we um, smoke cigarettes 
all the time, you know. So there's, I think it's important to acknowledge that there's, there's a range of different, because we're multidimensional beings, there's a range of different dimensions in which we can lose our ease, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the body has this built-in homeostasis, this incredibly smart ability to respond to challenges and to keep us okay. So if it's too hot, we put a bit more fluids out, we cool down. You know, if we don't have enough food, we've got too much food, all these different things, right? The body is constantly just doing this this kind of amazing cupware or sort of Tai Chi sort of dance <laughs> with the environment as it's feeding back, oh, a little bit more, a little bit less, a little bit more, a little bit over here, a little bit, shh, send a little bit more to the immune system, send a bit less to the immune system and send a bit more to the legs and run away from the bed. You know, send yep. a bit more here. Now it's time to feed the baby. We take it out of our bones, put it into the baby, but it'll go back to the tribe and come back. There's all these ways in which we're shifting in a dynamic state that we call health. Health is not something like this. It's a whirling dervish dance with the environment, right? Yes. And disease is where that dance is no longer harmonious, where between us and the environment, inner and outer environment, we're, we're no longer there, right? But on, uh, there's no longer harmony. But how that happens, I believe, is ultimate through, like in a, any relationship, through a breakdown of communication. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the ways in which that communication can break down is, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of ways, chemical mm. ways and social ways and emotional ways. But one of the ways is that as, a, as, a, as an internet, as a highway of of sentience in the body. Fascia should be providing us with feedback from the body to the nervous system of just like, actually, my liver's not so happy today, not a great day for a coffee. Mm. When I'm checking in, and this seems like a heightened, extrasensory, spiritual, only the yogic Taoist masters are going to have it, but actually we all have the, the equipment to be able to feel to our body about and ask, how's that feel on the inside of my body today? And of course, you need to, you can be better or worse at it naturally, and you can mm. practice it or neglect it. But the inability to feel back to that communication that's flowing back to us about what's happening on the inside—that's what fascia's doing. It's telling us what's going on in the inside, what's happening in Jimmy's liver, what's happening in Jimmy's intestine. What's happening in Jimmy's gluteal muscles and how does all that feel? And then the extra amazing thing, if I haven't confused and confounded you too much already, no, no. is that this whole fascial system is kind of like a series of, uh, of antennae. You know those beautiful moths yeah. with those beautiful antennae? Yeah. Yep. Well, that stuff there, fascia looks like that, all these little threads like your internet, all these little threads, and they're all going through us. And they're all just like these little antenna threads that are, that are G'd up to tell how it's going on inside us. But if you take your body and put it underneath a mobile phone tower and then you ask your body, how do I feel? Mm. Those little things should go, nah, not good. And then you move 500 metres that way, they go a little bit better, mm. you know. Mm. And if you take that and if I take my body and I bring it up Really, 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 really close to you, and I'm like, nah, inside my personal space, they should, they should be telling me. They come back right here, 
Yeah. It'll tell me a range, my body will tell me a range of things of feedback between myself and the whirling dervish of, of health, this dance that I do, where mm -hmm. it's right. Yes. Papayas today, no, nah, uh, my glycemic index is too high and my microbiome doesn't want it. <laughs> no. It's like go to work today, yeah, go to work today. Go to work tomorrow, no, stay home and menstruate, you know. And <laughs> these, these messages yes. are constantly coming to us, constantly. But yeah. we don't, we're all in the West, many of us are interoceptive morons. We're not listening. We're a brain in the box Yes, up here. Ah, yeah. I think it's a good idea that I go to work and drink three coffees today. It's like, great, why don't you ask the rest of you? <laughs> <laughs> so for people that, that know that, there's certain, that, that there is a little bit of a moron thing going on or just a little bit of a numbness going on to the body, how, what, what's a good way to get, get into that again? Like, How can you actually start to listening again? Really, you, you really can. And the thing we know about human beings um, in general and mammals in particular and brains is that they're plastic and adaptive and they just keep growing and changing. So it doesn't matter if you've been an interoceptive moron for 73 years, your brain can respond yeah. and change. It's constantly yeah. doing it. So, yeah, you, can, you really can. And so what can you do about it? There's a thousand different ways and pathways to this point of, yeah. of there's so many different embodiment practices through, you know, like movement as medicine, through somatic psychotherapy, through a getting a massage, doing a yoga class, going to the gym, taking up ballet classes, all of these different things that start to put you in your body mm. or some forms of meditation as well where you're checking in, feel your heart. Mm. And suddenly for a moment when I say that, just extend your awareness to your heart for a moment. And you actually feel it. It's doing its thing, yeah. I had no idea. I'd and you weren't feeling it a moment ago because you were probably mm. up here yeah. and you can shift that awareness down to here, you know, and that's a different state. And so it's definitely yes. something within all of our grasp. So when I think about it... Um, I remember a friend who was practicing Vipassana and he was, he was really into it. He still is into it, actually. It, it helped him a lot, you know. And, and part of that practice is actually really looking into the, into the body and, and checking in with the body, I believe. Or that's, you know, what he always described to me. And I did a couple of courses, but I didn't go as deep as he. And what he explained is like he could feel the different parts of a hand. You know, he could feel the, you know, what we would call the, the bones and, you know, and the, and the lig ligaments to a certain degree and all the different layers. And he said... He remembers that he was going through um, one part of his body. I can't remember which one it was. And he, one, in one practice, realized that there was quite a hardness in it. What he figured out is that if he would go there, he probably would strike emotions because it was way harder than any other tissue. And so one day he, he felt up to it and he really felt the different layers of his skin. And he went there and he said it was a super painful experience, but it, it brought really, really specific emotions up for him and um, sort of re released them, you know, and, and it was sort of like healing. I don't know, like he didn't come across as he had a trauma, but there was certainly something that was healing in him by him really being focused and present to whatever hardness there was. How would you take that? Like, I never quite understood how exactly these things happen, but it always fascinated that story, fascinated me because he was 
adamant. Like I, I understand my body. I felt an emotion there, and I went to it. Eventually, it was painful, but you know, it released stuff. It's, yeah. I think um, a, a way to approach it is is again just to remember that our whole body is tingling with sentience, with consciousness, with awareness. It's all, it's all conscious. Every cell in our body is highly intelligent. Just every little red blood cell, every little white blood cell, it's all sentient. It's all conscious, right? Every muscle cell, you know, just sitting there in its own little way because if you were some giant that made the sun look small and you came to earth and you looked at humanity, you'd see us as a sort of a biofilm or something and you might doubt whether Jimmy was conscious. Because from that, if I zoom up high enough, Jimmy just looks like a white blood cell. I'm participating in larger processes. I'm a part of a culture. I'm a part of an era. My life is fleetingly small. I'm doing something, right? But if you come down here, it's like, hey, I've got a life of my own. And it's the same for every cell in your body. So every cell, the first bit, you have to, I have to really understand, every part of the body is tingling with consciousness. And then when we encounter trauma, then it appears that that trauma is not only located inside our mind and heart, right, but it is, it's locked in and stored away in particular areas of the body often, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, somebody says, hey, Jimmy, you know what, you smell bad and I don't want to be around your friend anymore. And I go, <gasps> like this. Yeah. yeah. And then that sort of gesture, and this tightening in my throat back here, it's sort of, you know, like it subtly stays. I've like subtly gone, oh, God, wow. Yeah. And then there's a hardness because it's holding. It's holding that there. It's holding it because I couldn't experience the fullness of that trauma in that moment. And at a later point when it's safe and I'm in a vipassana or I'm lying on someone's massage table, yeah. and as they work on that, oh, oh then I can let the rest of that trauma come through that in the moment could have broken me maybe. It was too much. I couldn't experience it all in that moment. It was too strong. So I tucked some of it away for later, wow. which, is, which is okay yeah. until you've tucked too much of it away <laughs> yeah. and then those parts don't function, you know. They, they, yes. they, they, they no longer function because they're having to hold too much of that somatic trauma. And so absolutely. And that's, you know, an acupuncturist comes along and just places a needle in a particular point and <gasps> suddenly tears flood up. Or a body worker comes along and gets their elbow into your buttocks and suddenly you're like, oh, you're feeling whatever you're feeling. And so absolutely the body is, 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 is tingling with sentience. Mm. So a really philo- philosophical question that I was just, just to go really deep down into it. So if, if there's so much consciousness in every single part of us, who is actually running the show? Like, is it actually everyone together? So, or is it like, you know, is, is there something supreme? Like, am I somehow supreme to the rest of my body or am I my body, you know? Um, good question, right? Good question of like, who am I, right? That's, that's the big question is to be asking ourselves again and again. Who am I? You know, yeah. who am I? It's like, am I, you know, my job? No. Am I my role as husband or father? No. Am I my failures in the past? No. Am I my pain? You know? And then you keep going further down and you're like, well, am I my probiome? Because that thing's got a life of its own. 
you know? Yeah. It's like it's clearly, clearly got its own agendas and its own stuff. So I go, okay. So, well, maybe, 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 maybe not. And suddenly there's, it, it keeps going, right? Because then you say, am I, am I my pain? Like, well, no, or not just. Am I my inner child? Well, not just. Am I my inner patriarch? Am I my inner warrior? Am I my inner whore? Am I my probiome? Am I my liver? My liver is depressed, you know? All of these things and suddenly we see that like the world at large, like the macrocosm, human beings are an ecology. We are, we are uh, the microcosm of the macrocosm and there are multiple forces and multiple beings at work within us. When I say multiple beings, I mean, on the one hand, all those bacteria that outnumber us somewhere between 10 and 1,000 to 1 that have yeah. their own DNA and their own ideas about what they want, their own food cravings. Yeah. Did you know that Japanese probiomes will manipulate their hosts to get more seaweed, whereas your probiome is probably manipulating you to get more sugar? Wow. So the bacteria, they've got their own agendas, right? You know? And so we come to this inclusivist picture that says, I am a multiplicity, a multiplicity of psychological forces, a multiplicity of archetypal forces, a multiplicity of biological forces. What my testosterone says that it wants today could be in the best interest of my testosterone but might not be in the best interest of my marriage, you know, <laughs> or my yeah. career, yeah. maybe, yeah. right? So am I my testosterone? It's like then, and then the final part of that is it's like, well, inside this multiplicity of all of these conflicting different forces, who am I? And then I think ultimately then that's where the, the, the spiritual teachings suggest that there is something that is the container of awareness, like the open blue sky that has space for all of these things, that says my anger is welcome, my probiome and its cravings is welcome, my inner child is welcome, my warrior is welcome, my father is welcome, my pain is welcome, my desire and my ego are welcome. I am none of those parts, but I am the space that contains them all. Right, that's the emergent whole. The, the something out of this, the, the whole that's bigger than the sum of its parts. Yes. You put them all together, like you put us all together, and a community exists. And a community is larger than any single individual. And it's the same for you and I. I believe is that mm. there's something that exists that larger than all that. But the thing that exists is not that is 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 is, is wide open awareness. It's inclusive. Wow. Yes. And it, it, it welcomes all of those parts. Says, I am all of this. In a way, you can imagine Gaia might say, I am, you know, the monkeys. I am the lion that chases the deer. I am the deer that eats the grass. I am the grass. I am the ant. I am the forest. I am the coral. And she's just like, come, all of you in here to my bosom, you know. Like mm -hmm. I am all of this, but I am also that which allows and contains it. And so I think it's the same for us. Wow, did I lose you there? <laughs> no, you didn't lose me. It's just amazing to think about it and then figuring out. So how do you approach? How do you? This is an amazing knowledge, and it's 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 not spoken often about in that that sense. And maybe because people get lost in it, I don't know. But there's certainly an aspect of my, of, of me that wants to understand. So th this is great. So since I know that, 
how would I use that to to figure out, you know, how I can be healthy and, you know, how to actually figure out what's wrong with me if something is wrong. You know, where does this pain come from? Where does this thought come from? I'm sure this is not a healthy thought to think, but it's still there. If all of that is a community of things, what modality would help? Or is it not just one or could any do it? I, I think that there's um, there's a range of modalities. There's a range of approaches uh, that can be used. There's a range of tools for this job, right? Yeah. There's not one tool. And often you'll find people, they've got their favourite tool and that's really the tool for, you know, humanity. <laughs> <laughs> you know that thing um, when all you've got is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail? <laughs> well, it's kind of <laughs> like great. that. Yeah. So, if you ask the surgeon, then it's just like, well, you know, surgery can really help. If you ask the chiropractor, everyone, every disease that you meet is a sort of chiropractic deficiency <laughs> disease. Whereas if you ask an acupuncture, it's like, what's going wrong with you? What you have here essentially is an acupuncture deficiency. Um, and so for me, I don't think that, I don't think like that. It's not about the tools. And I use a range of different tools. Yeah. Um, but I think um, uh, the meta tool is that's relevant to our conversation here as well with fascia. I'm going to try to keep a thread running <laughs> with fascia through this conversation because we're going beautifully off uh, into the etheric <laughs> here, is that um, in, order for, in, in order for all of those parts to stay in relation, right, because health is a harmonious dance between my hormonal needs, the part of me that needs and wants this, that aspect of myself, plus my psychological needs, plus my social needs, plus my immunological needs and digestive needs. But sometimes, you know, those things are in clash, right? Mm. It's like my stomach wants to eat and it really wants to eat, but my wife really wants to talk about something that's very important and she's all teared up right now and maybe now is not a good time to just grab a bite, right? You know, like so I just... There has to be a place where I put those, there has to be some place that all of those things are welcome, right, and that there's an awareness that can hold them and listen to them. So any, any practice that helps develop mindfulness and a more expansive and inclusive consciousness that says you're welcome here, all of this is welcome, the pain is welcome, the desire is welcome, the envy is welcome, the chocolate cravings are welcome. However, what we're looking for is the harmony of the whole. I say I understand you want a chocolate bar, Jimmy, but if we interrupt the wife right now while she's crying <laughs> mm. and she's saying how she doesn't feel listened to enough in our relationship, Although you're going to feel less hungry right now, the overall harmony of your life is going to go down the curve. So the tool is any series of tools that start to lead to allow for increased integration, right? Yes. Increased integration and communication of the parts. And so one of those tools, because the subject of our talk today is about fashion, is increased interoceptive awareness. Increased body wisdom, mm -hmm. not emotional wisdom, not intellectual knowledge, right? Body knowledge and a body quotient, interoceptive quotient. Increased body knowledge is one way to be able to have uh, a more inclusive and expansive and spacious sense because our body is very wise. 
So to drop in, if we drop in, it's like, ah, should I get the chocolate right now? My stomach is saying, eat, eat, eat. But if I drop in deeply to my gut feeling, I drop into my heart, I drop in ah, more in all of that way, then the, a deeper wisdom that says we'll get the chocolate bar after the wife has finished crying, you know, <laughs> and so that we can do that rather than just trying to solve it with our head or just with our heart, that we can also have access to this other wisdom, which is the wisdom of the body. And so in that regard, um, then when we come down to this, this, this particular talk today that we're having, then um, increased interoceptive awareness through learning about fascia, yes. through learning embodied practices, through getting in the body in this regard, is certainly a tool that can be one of many tools to help lead to a more harmonious life, a more healthy life. Yes, yes. I remember and, um, b before you come on, came online, we were talking about the, the phenomenon that because it is so connected, like everything is so connected, that you also might be treating a part of the body that is actually not the problem, right? So that there's sometimes, you know, I don't know where this wisdom ever came from and who came up with it, but, but you're basically saying like you can have, have an issue there, but you actually come from a very different side. How does that work? Well, I've got my little acumen over here, nice. right? Who's, yep. Who's got all the sort of meridians that are tattooed onto him and stuff like this. Yeah. Um, but what I've done on the back, for people that can't see us who are just listening right now, mm. I've put a great big piece of masking tape that's run just up my doll from the, from the heel mm. all the way to the head. And that piece of masking tape is essentially just showing what's going on with our calves, which are the same thing as our hamstrings, unless you cut them up with a scalpel. Can, you, they, if I wanted to... Here's the thing, if I cut off, if I, instead of, if I scalped my acumen here, right, mm. and he was dead and I scalped him and I tore off his scalp, but I didn't cut anything up and I kept tearing, his neck muscles had come off. If I didn't cut anything else, else off, his back muscles had come off because, of course, his neck's connected to his back. And if mm. I kept tearing, then his buttocks would come off, his hamstrings would come off, and we'd go all the way underneath to the bottom of his foot. Because this one strip of muscular tissue here is all absolutely connected, not in an airy-fairy mystical way, like, wow, yeah. not like that, like as in anatomy, like <laughs> it's connected like this piece of tape is connected, like yes. hang it up on your wall connected, you know, yeah. like it's obviously connected. <laughs> yeah. And so that means that when they've done studies where people have had uh, headaches and they've said, let's see how many people get If, if stretching the neck can help headaches, then it's just like, yes, yeah, stretching the neck can help, you know, a certain, uh, uh, like a 40% of people with headaches, right, just from doing this stretch. Mm -hmm. And then instead, because of this particular relationship that I've taped out for you there, mm -hmm. instead they say, let's see what happens when we get people to stretch the hamstrings instead of the neck. And so by loosening up the tension that was pulling on the hamstrings, the tension from the hamstrings that's pulling up on the neck, let's see how many people's headaches get better then. And the wow. same amount of people, 40-odd percent, get better, their headaches get better without touching their head, without touching their neck, simply by stretching their hamstring because there's a very clear relationship that runs straight up the body there. Imagine you're in a onesie, right, and your onesie is tucked in. You've got a hood on your onesie, mm. but your onesie is tucked in a little too tightly into your sock on your left foot. 
And then when you move your head in the hood, it can't move quite so freely. Yeah. And, and what you do is you just reach down and untuck the onesie that was tucked in and caught tightly into your sock and suddenly the hood moves freely because it's like that. Well, fascia is like a onesie. <laughs> <laughs> that means that you can treat your body. That's maybe the reason why, you know, I was, um, got a mass massage uh, last week and um, we were talking about neck problem actually. And um, I was told like, you know, you actually can massage also different points in your, in your hand. And that really helps. I don't know if that's exactly the same topic, but what I, what I hear you saying is because it's all one thing, it doesn't matter too much where you approach it as long as you approach it and help it to, to relax or to, you know, to become alive again or whatever you need to do to, to get it. Well, it does matter where you approach it because although it's all one web, there's yes. strands that are more di directly related to different areas than others. Hence, there's knowledge about meridians, which is a map of these particular relationships through the body. Meridians have a fascial anatomical underpinning, as that's what yeah. we've now discovered, right? Yeah. And hence there's particular knowledge in bodywork communities or in some yoga communities of, you know, like for this kind, for a temporal headache, we can do trikonasana and stretch out the line that goes through here, whereas for a, a triangle pose, whereas for an occipital headache, then we should go down into downward dog and hmm. go like this, right? And so there's different, because we know which ones are connected to that, that produce pain in that particular region there. Um, but broadly, I think what's amazing is the fact that we're amazed that doing something in your hand can help your head. That's what's really amazing is that you're amazed by it because, because incredibly, as in it can't be credited, our culture has lost the ability to see connections between things. And so when you look at the government in Australia, and sorry to get political for a moment, but, and it's like rampant destruction of the barrier reef in favour of the economy. It's like, do, do you not see the connection between the ecology and the economy? You know, what's, go like you, what's going on here? Hmm. How do you think that this is going to pan out for us? Yeah. Or, you know, any other situation. It's like yeah. there's something fundamentally pathological about the way we see the world. We see the world through a cracked and broken lens and we can't see how what's happening in sub-Saharan Africa is going to hurt our children here in Australia. We can't see how the ecology in Brazil affects the ecology in Australia. We haven't been able to see how tension underneath the plantar fascia on the foot will produce tension underneath the occiput on the skull. We've lost the ability to see connections so much so that we thought we'd discovered all of anatomy in the West, all of it. But what we didn't see was, wait for it, the connective tissue. We saw it all except that which connects the whole thing. <laughs> and isn't that just what's going on with the world at large in so many ways, is we've seen all of these different bits, but we've lost the wisdom and the ability to be able to see how things connect. And so... There's a larger piece at work in terms of our healing here, our global healing, our personal healing, is to learn how to see patterns again, not how to use the, the mind like a scalpel to cut things into parts. Mm. And we're trained, oh, well, let's just analyse this and dissect it into their little parts. It's like, good, well, when you do that, then uh, Beethoven is nothing but the vibration of gases caused by horsehair dragged over cat's guts. 
That's a good one. You got Aspies, right? If you that's what you're saying, you've got Aspers. You yeah. cannot understand a waterfall or a whirlpool by talking about H2O. It's more than H2O. And you can't understand a human being by just talking about its biochemistry. And you can't understand muscles in relation to each other either. So a lot of therapists will have learnt this old model, which is just fractured into little pieces, yoga therapists or massage therapists, and they have no ability, uh, no framework to be able to really join the dots. And so they don't know how, you know, which area of when somebody has back pain is that the sort of person that should do more hamstring stretches or less hamstring stretches? Mm. Because the, some people's back pain will get worse for hamstring stretches if it's psoas mediated, for example, for those that know what that means. Some people's back pain is going to get better for ham, hamstring stretches. And so you just need to, as a, as a massage therapist, you think that's what everyone should know or a yoga teacher. But mm. guess what? We don't. No. And it's not, not the massage therapist's problem. It's not their fault because they've just been born into a culture that's fragmented. They weren't taught that in the same way that I wasn't taught that. Mm. But what I'm passionate about doing is obviously having conversations like this mm. to understand why it's important and then to find this is the philosophical background that I have, right, but then to find a way to make philosophy real and yes. to put it into practice, which is why that's I went it. into medicine. Mm. And so we can learn how to help people with their back pain, with their plantofasciitis, with their ongoing migraines. You know, we can learn how to do this with better psychosomatic therapies, with better yoga, with better body work. Um, and, and at the same time as helping those smaller problems, we can contribute a model that gets us more literate in the larger language of connections and patterns so that, so that our children's generation won't be quite as... <laughs> kind of autistic, <laughs> as excessively analytic as us, so that we're like, really? Is the thumb really connected to the shoulder? It's like, are you saying that? Look at it. It's connected. Where is it not connected? Guess what? You have to take a, a, a sword and cut it off for it to not be connected. Of course it's connected to your shoulder. How yeah. did you get that idea that it wasn't connected? How did you yeah. doubt Beside all these details that that we discuss and all this mysticism dispelled, I think what it really I think what what's great for the listeners is just that the whole myth of the, that the you know more alternative healer is doing something that no one understands and that is so complex and so so ancient and so woo woo is actually not and that you know the, the way that you explain is is a really beautiful encouragement for to anyone to just feel comfortable with something that you know we just have forgotten the knowledge because to be you know to be fair if you go to a medical doctor you don't understand the thing either you know and normally it's just a prescription anyway and you take that you have no idea what is in it and what it really does often you know you just take the pill and you know hope you hope for the best it's not that different and it's actually in, it, it's an interesting phenomenon that we that you know some of us go to to you know more ancient healers practitioners, whatever you want to call that, and you doubt it just because it's not what the medical thing is and it because it doesn't make sense from a fragmented point of view. What are you dear doing with my calf if I have a neck pain? Of course, this will not work. But with what you outlining there in, in a really macro way as well as talking a few details, this beautifully encourages me definitely to, to just accept 
I just don't get it. That's all, you know, like I just don't understand exactly the details, but it makes a lot of sense of what you're saying. And therefore it's perfectly fine to just trust it. And if the results are there, fine, you know, like I don't, I don't need to, to question it anymore. Hmm. If the results are there, you know, Paracelsus said, he who cures is right, which is a good statement in a way. <laughs> he who cures is right. But um, it's, I would just, as someone on the inside of this industry, I'd also yeah. want to say there is also a lot of woo-woo. There's also a lot of fuzzy thinking. And um, you don't have to just go out as a client and just say, oh, well, I just have to have faith. You know, that's all. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, there's a happy medium there where you bring okay. an appropriate level of inquiry to, you know, your therapist of like, well, can you explain to me why you think, you know, my cancer is going to be better when you ring this bell above my third eye, you know, like, mm. or mm. some other piece, right? You, mm. you need to honour that. We need to honour those parts of ourselves. But, um, and, and, the, and, so that we can get answers that are not fragmented. And sometimes what we call woo-woo is just another version of fragmented. It's just, it's disconnected. It's spiritual bypassing. It's disembodied. It's, it's disowning and reacting to the sort of so-called logocentrism, the hyper-rationality of the modern world. And then in response to that, it says, ick, hyper-rationality feels bad. I'm going to jump all the way over here. But from where I stand, all the way over there, a whole bunch of that sort of fluffy rainbow stuff, then that also feels ick. It's just like somewhere in the middle between the left and the right brain, having access to both of those at different points in an integrated fashion is what feels like is the balance that we're looking for. It's not about left wing. It's not about right wing. You know, it's about the sensible centre that we're seeking here. And that's the case politically, you know, rather than having people ideologically committed to one extreme or the other as though either extreme has not killed millions of people in the past, right? We both know the left and the right have killed millions of people historically, you know? And so to have just people that are just wedded to a spiritual answer who are just using the pole that we could call mythos and denying logos entirely, or people that are just entirely in the left brain and they're just logos driven and they're entirely denying the right brain, the right hemisphere. Both of those are crippled. <laughs> they've got one eye. Yeah. 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 That's not yeah. a good place, right? And so I would encourage everyone to, to, to what we're looking for here is to be able to see the world with depth. We require two eyes and each, mm. each eye gives us a slightly distorted picture that's not quite true and then it overlays them to create the world with depth. That's how we have depth perception. Mm-hmm. Two slightly different pictures yes. yeah, that are both out a little bit. That's why you get the, the goggles for 3D and stuff like that and then superimposed in the brain to create a vision of depth. Well, we can't see with depth into the heart of things if we also have that split and we've only got one eye open, one side of our hemisphere. Uh, looking at the world as well. Mm. Great. That was a great wrap-up. Hey, thanks for that. <laughs> hey, actually, um, we normally finish. Well, well I want to want to do two things. Like One, I want to ask you three three questions that we normally ask um, people on the show just to wrap it up and you know have some coherence there. But then also, I know that your work is not only treating people and not only helping people by actually 
practicing it, but but you also train people. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about it? Because I think that's really exciting when people look into that and and want to know more. I think you know you're just such a vessel of knowledge, and you know you've taken the scenic route as well in in, in all your endeavor, which is great. It gives it context, right? It gives it so much more context. Yeah. Mm. Um, that should be on my bio, by the way. Took the scenic route. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, tra I'm passionate about training. So I've been um, I've been working in this uh, field for 20 years now, which is um, just enough just enough time. It's it's um, it's enough time to have some experience. It's certainly not a level of mastery, but it's a level of competence and. It's a fair amount of clients over the years, you know, um, mm -hmm. to have seen. So, um, so the edge for me now, what I'm really passionate about is in teaching others who are less experienced in that journey to save them some of the heartache that of stuff that I, I could have got taught in year one. Uh, some of this stuff I should have been taught yeah. in year one as a foundation. You know, in the same way you can imagine as a child you, you think, well, if I've got, as an adult, you think, If I've got children, I'm going to make sure from day one they know yeah. that it's yeah. okay to feel sad or yeah. as a man yes. it's okay to cry or, mm. you know, vulnerabilities as well. So whatever your thing is, communication. Yeah. And, and you go, I'm going to make sure my kids know this from day one because I didn't get taught it from day one. Well, inside any profession, it's the same. And so what I'm passionate about is teaching people about some of those things that are really important to make the journey easier. Um, so I do this through mentorship. Um, and that can be done either locally or non-locally through Zoom rooms like we've got on here. And also through a series of uh, workshops that are placed. They happen overseas at times. They happen here locally in the Northern Rivers. Sometimes I'm invited to other places to speak. Um, but you can you can find out about that through my Facebook page and you can see. But in relation Fantastic. to um, this particular subject, then there's usually, uh, I've been doing a lot of training in Bali at the yoga barn there. But um, there's going to be more training in the Byron Bay region over the next year or two as well. So if someone really wants to learn more about this work, about fascia, about psychosomatic therapy, about, you know, how to help people, how to figure out about that neck pain, back pain, front leg, back leg, which one, those things in a larger container um, about the big picture as well, mm -hmm. then I'm your guy. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks, bro. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And we will put that in the comments as well so that people can find it easily. Brilliant. Hey, we have three questions so that we wrap up normally with. One is, um, what are the three things that get you out of bed every morning? Ooh, okay. The three things that get me out of bed in the morning. Let me think. Well, a sense of mystery for me um, What when I leap out of bed is with uh, when I have this a strong sense of curiosity, um, and 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 that's 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 what really helps me rather than because let's be honest, like there's times when I drag my carcass out of bed, <laughs> right? <laughs> so what gets me out of bed is obligation and the mortgage, you know, or the alarm clock. <laughs> so I don't want to like paint myself as some sort of like guru here, you know, because yeah, yeah. there's enough of that going on without me adding to it. <laughs> So sometimes it's the alarm clock, drag my carcass out of bed. There's a sense of obligation that I need to put food on the table and provide for my kids. Mm -hmm. So duty and things, those things are there. Mm -hmm. And it's and I'm I'm sad to say they're left out of this the talk a lot of the time, you know? Because mm -hmm. they're probably the 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 main things that get people out of bed in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. Um and they're important and good. Mm -hmm. But when I leap out of bed, then 
it's a sense of purpose and it's um and that sense of purpose is very much um tied to a curiosity a curiosity about the mysterious about the next edge for me mm-hmm. and for me I'm I'm deep into greek medicine and greek mythology and all this stuff at the moment and, and so if i know i've got a morning off with no other commitments and i can go straight into writing my book which is on archetypal greek medicine and these sorts of things i leap my ass out of bed on that day <laughs> because i'm just like wow I want to get this next piece on Zeus and Dionysus. I want to learn about Hippocrates and Galen. And so curiosity, um, curiosity and, and mystery are definitely in there as well. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Sort of in the same vein, like, but I think you sort of mentioned it already. Like, what is it at the moment? What's your favorite thing at the moment to do? I think it is probably the same or along the same line. What do you say? Um, well, actually. I mean, again, just to to go outside the mold here of what I'm supposed to answer in a podcast like this is actually it's it's none of those things. It's very personal at the moment. I'm yeah. 43 years old and I've just got sort of halfway round the clock, more or less. I'm at my midlife opportunity, mm. and so it's a very personal process, not a pre- professional process, but is really like a strong edge. It's just a deeper inquiry into myself and who I am. And I've been very identified with my roles. I've been very identified with my career. I've been very identified with my doings in the world. And I've had a lot of doings, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, it's there's, there's a shift that's, that's, that's much more personal. And it's edgy and it's tough as well. <laughs> and I mean, it's like, whoa! At times, it's a sort of like a, it's a gritty, edgy, Tear Street kind of, you know, inquiry, not to yeah. sort of, you know, Vipassana, post me on Instagram whilst the angels sing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, yeah, I feel more comfortable giving you an honest answer. Yeah, yeah definitely. That, and that's, that's what I'm after. after. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but it's electrifying. It's electrifying. And a little, just a small question uh, to the end, on the at the end. Um, when you think about existence, why do you think that humans exist like, like what, 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 what is it that like like where, where we, why is this all happening like do you have a do you know this is just the, this is just the one you just finish with you know? like, <laughs> it's like all our interviewees we just get just right at the end any upcoming workshops and what's the reason of existence you know? <laughs> so exactly. I, I like this so, um so i i think that the problem that we encounter here is to try to provide a one-size-fits-all answer, right? And that's that's where there's no there's no there's no answer that is going to work for everybody here, mm. right? There's there's no single answer, and so and perhaps the the, the question itself is misframed. It's just like, okay, like what's the meaning of life? It's like, well, life has no meaning. We are meaningful, and we imbue our life with meaning. It's like, what is What is the purpose of your existence? You know, what is, okay. how do you make existence meaningful? Mm-hmm. And so how you make existence meaningful is the question that we should be asking ourselves. Not what does Jimmy, whilst he's got his rant on, think is the overarching metaphysical kind of truth of reality here, you know? Um, and I've got various answers like that, but they're my answers and they're, you know, they're all these philosophical pieces. But I think the most important one is, is for us as an individual to, to find that and to, 
and to bring that to life, to, to imbue our own life, our own existence with meaning. And that, that is a, that's an edgy process. And it doesn't, at the start, you can hang your, your hat, your meaning hat up on, 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 on something like helping people. You know, I've founded a charity and done lots of work in that, in that regard. You know, it works for a bunch of time on success, on career, on mastery, on, on, on relationship, on, on children. There's all sorts of things, smaller pegs that you can put, and, and those are important, but at the end they're not enough. And I think that where it, where it leads to, I suspect, from here deep in Jimmy's midlife opportunity that he's in at the moment, <laughs> is that it's, it's something more like the tea ceremony of our own existence. And so... A tea, pouring a cup of tea seems like a very meaningless kind of thing. Really? Doesn't it? It's just like it's a cup of tea. It's a means to an end. Pour the tea, I'll drink the tea, you know? But when you attend a tea ceremony, it's done with purpose. It's done as though it means something, right? And you have the sense of that. And in doing that, we bring that wide open awareness to the moment the inclusiveness of this moment too is welcome, right? This moment too is meaningful. Mm. This this conversation that we have here, this opportunity to ask this question, to answer it, mm. it's meaningful and it's real. Mm. And so is pouring the tea, so is doing the dishes, and so is earning money for my children. Mm. How'd I do? I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, ah, no, it's awesome. You did very well. Fantastic. Yeah, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Thanks for that, Jimmy. That was a fantastic interview. I really, really enjoyed it. I really liked the depth of, of, of your work and, you know, framing it really simple, going all the way in, going all the way out. And I think that makes it really accessible. So thank you so much. No worries. It's been an absolute pleasure. I shall see you again. Go well. Thanks for listening, everyone, to the sauna show today. That was Dr. Jimmy Wollumbin that I talked to. And you can find out more about Jimmy on his website, drjimmy.com. That's J-I-M-I for Jimmy. He is online as well as personal courses that he offers and, of course, consultations if you are in the northern rivers of Australia. And I'm sure all of that is definitely worth doing. Also, please do subscribe and review this podcast to get the word out about all things health and wellness. And please leave a comment on one of our sites with any suggestions of future guests and topics that you would like to hear about. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Sauna Show. And our website is thesaunashow.com. My name is Sebastian Mirau. And this episode was sponsored by Clila Jacuzzi Saunas, the world's leading provider of superior quality, full-spectrum infrared saunas. Until next time, have the best day ever. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical conditions. Neither the host, Sebastian Miro and Johannes Kettelhort, nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.